This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Junkyard Dogcast, everybody. I'm Jake Rowe with Dogs 24-7. With me, as always, Kip Adams, Rusty Mansell, also of Dogs 24-7. Georgia beats Notre Dame 23-17. Slugfest didn't go like anybody thought it was going to go. Very odd game in a lot of different ways. We're going to break it down for you as, as, as small as we possibly can. Uh, to, to kind of let you guys know the ins and outs and nuances of, of the way we felt about it, and we're going to jump right into it first and foremost. And, Rusty, I'm going to go ahead and toss it to you. Uh, just overall thoughts on the game. I'm sure you've got some quick hitters uh, and some high spots that you want to hit on this. Just kind of what did you think about it? You know, I, we, we see Georgia every week. We've seen Alabama. We've seen LSU in person. So I, I know what a, a big football team looks like from top to bottom. I haven't seen Notre Dame in person, so I, I kind of thought, you know, they're going to have some guys. But watch Georgia come out for pregame, the specialty, specialist punters, snappers, kickers come out. Notre Dame comes out, suit and ties or coat and ties. They always, I guess they walk to the middle of the field. They say a prayer, a few words. Kyle Hamilton walked by me, and I know Kyle Hamilton. Okay, so he's 6'4". And then Claypool walks beside him. And then their tight end groups are with them. And I thought, wait a minute. Them dudes are long. Like, I, you know, I, I really, you can look at the stat sheet, but I was in person thinking, man, and that's why I ran that picture on the front page of, of Dogs 247 on Sunday of the size difference of DJ Daniels and, and Claypool. I mean, they, this guy was four or five inches taller than those guys. Um, and look, they were fast in person. They, they had all the size they, you know, they didn't have, they don't have the one through 85 roster, but I guarantee their two deep is as good as anybody, uh, in spots. They've got some big players. I was impressed on the hoof when they came out. I thought, we're going to see where George is at because these, these are some big body guys, especially their old line were big body guys. Jake, I know you were down there a little bit too, uh, early on. I think Georgia took the game over and wore them down. Uh, but didn't go like anybody expected. And, and I think that Notre Dame came in with a great mentality. They let it ride. They didn't leave anything in the playbook. They knew how important that game was. They were right off the bat. They had reverses. Uh, they were The first play of the game was a bootleg. The second game was a reverse. Second play of the game was a reverse, a reverse I believe. Um, they came. They emptied their playbook. Their whole season, they probably felt like privately was on the line for the playoffs. I was impressed, but – End of the day, uh, Georgia got a way to win it. And I think it, as the year goes on and looking at Notre Dame's schedule, I think it's going to be a hell of a win for Georgia on their resume. 
And, and also, just to jump in here, I think, what about that atmosphere? Uh, have, have we seen Sanford Stadium as loud and, and just as amped up as it was Saturday night? I mean, I can't recall a game. I mean, Georgia's had some big-time games, but, you know, one stat that kind of stood out to me, I hadn't even noticed, but Georgia hadn't played a, a top 10. It hadn't been a top 10 matchup, non-conference game. I think in, in over 50 years, it was like 1966 against Georgia Tech. The last time there was a top 10 non-conference matchup in Sanford Stadium. And, and really, I mean, you could tell. Uh, and I, I think that all the props that were given to the crowd and the atmosphere Saturday night are, are warranted and then some. I and mean, you look at the stat sheet, the, the 12 penalties that, that Notre Dame committed that night you know, really, really kind of tells the tale of of Sanford Stadium and just Georgia kind of stepping up as far as being that home field advantage. And you know, Georgia's been, you know, the SEC, a lot of programs are mentioned. LSU at night gets mentioned all the time as being that, you know, that tough place to play at night. And, and I think that Georgia kind of showed in this game that they can have that kind of atmosphere and then some. And, and really, obviously, with the stadium upgrades, just the overall experience is something that we hadn't seen before and something that they really took advantage of and, and kind of really nailed in, in that regard. But I, I think the one thing from the actual game overall that stood out to me was the depth. You know, Georgia had some key injuries, and, and they're really up against it in that secondary. You know, obviously, Tyson Campbell being out after playing – the kind of football he's been playing, like I said in the last show, his size. You mentioned Claypool. That would have been a great matchup for Georgia had Tyson Campbell been able to play out there. And then, you know, again, Eric Stokes going down, you know, that leg injury, that really put Georgia up. I mean, DJ Daniel came in and and played pretty well, I think. And then, you know, having to play Tyreek McGee a lot, you know, that – really kind of gave them a little bit of a disadvantage as far as size is concerned. But then on the opposite side, offensive line, I mean, when, when Solomon Kenley went down and Georgia went to Justin Schaefer, a guy that's been, you know, competing in that O-line group and has been in that second group for a while, you know, him coming in and then uh, Isaiah Wilson coming back out in that second half, I think that was huge. You could just tell the difference when he was back out there the way the offensive line was able to kind of, you know, take control there. I think, you know, in the in, in the run game, uh, it, was, it was tough sledding. But as far as pass protection is concerned, uh, I thought they did a great job. And, and again, the uh, the depth, this rotating the defensive linemen in throughout the game and being able to sub in and out guys that can still play at a high level. You know, that's kind of one thing that maybe got went under the radar a little bit in, in how Georgia was able to, to battle and scratch and claw and, and come out with a victory. Yeah, you know, we'll get into kind of the nuance and the, and the specifics regarding, you know, kind of why this game went a little bit differently than, than we thought. But, man, I look at this game, and, and if I'm not mistaken, and I haven't had a chance to really go through this with a fine-tooth comb, but I believe the one thing that, that kind of jumped out at me, I guess, when I look at this game in retrospect is the fact that I believe this is Georgia's lowest rushing output that it has ever won with, that has won with in the past in the past three years under Kirby Smart, past two years and four games. Uh, you know, the Bulldogs ran for uh, – they ran for 152 yards. Uh, you know, every time that they were, weren't able to 
to to get uh, over over that basically they they've lost uh, you know the two games the three games last year LSU Alabama and uh, Texas uh, they, they they weren't able to rush for more yards than that uh, they uh, in in the 2017 season Auburn obviously didn't run the ball very well at all worst rushing game Georgia's had in the past three years and uh, I thought that kind of stood out and I and I think it kind of stands out as a good thing that you find a way to beat a top seven, a top 10 team, uh, a team that remained in the top 10 after the polls came out today, and they were able to find a way to win without doing what they do best and doing it the way they do it. I thought that was pretty impressive. And, and, and you no know, big plays in the run game. Longest run was 16 yards. Uh, I tell you what, I definitely think that, that the game did go completely different than, than a lot of us thought. And, and Georgia still found a way to win. Georgia found a way, even with some bad mistakes. You know, you look at the turnovers. Georgia won the turnover battle, 2-1. to one. Georgia got less points off turnovers than Notre Dame did because Notre Dame got seven off of theirs. Georgia got six off of theirs. So it's, uh, it's just it was a pretty fascinating game to me as you kind of go back and watch it and, and watch some of the mistakes Georgia made. But I'm with you, Kip, and, and I'm, I completely agree with Kirby Smart. Never, I've never covered a game, and I've got a streak of like 50-something, almost 60 Georgia games in a row where I've been in the press box and covered the Bulldogs and never seen a game, never covered a game where the crowd had that big of an impact on it. And then this was a Notre Dame team that did a really good job limiting penalties coming into this game, and, uh, and Georgia forced them into 12 of those. And a lot of that was the fan noise and, and the atmosphere there. It was just... It was it was unlike anything I'd ever seen, and and you you I think Rusty I, I'm I'm not sure were were you at the 2017 Auburn game the the one Georgia lost? Yes, I was. <laughs> okay, yeah, that game kind of taught me you know that sure the importance of a stadium environment and, and what you can manufacture in that regard. Georgia did a phenomenal job of that yesterday, keeping yes. fans in it all throughout, and, and ultimately that ended up making a huge difference in that game. So uh, all points definitely taken as, as far as, you know, you guys. And um, I'll move right into it and into kind of our first big topic, and that's why did this game go differently than, than us and everybody else thought? Like, I, you know, I may come on here and apologize and eat a little crow and, and, and you know, kind of with my hat in my hand a little bit, if, if I was the only one or we were the only ones thinking Georgia was going to handle this game and control it, but we're, we weren't, not at all. I mean, we, we weren't the only people who felt that way. Everybody felt that way. And, and I'm just going to, I'm going to go ahead and say why I, I think it didn't go that way. I think we learned firsthand why you're at, why you're Nick Saban's and, and Bill Belichick's and, and, and those guys manufacture disbelief. Even if it's not there, even if everybody knows that New England is the best team in the sport, they will flat. Bill Belichick will absolutely manufacture the lack of respect. Nobody believes in us. Nobody. Listen, that was a Notre Dame team that absolutely had had bought into the idea that that nobody believed in them. Nobody was giving them a chance. Brian Kelly did a phenomenal job getting that message across. And and it was at the perfect time and place. They came in and played inspired football, and uh, and they got a few mistakes from Georgia. Georgia got a few mistakes from them. They were in it at the very end, and, and I think Georgia just kind of outmanned them there late. And nothing illustrates that, I think, better than the quick pressure Georgia was able to get 
on that fourth down play and 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 uh, you know cause Ian Book to have to throw it up and 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 hope something good happened. But but I think we found out firsthand why those these coaches and sometimes they look foolish doing it because you're just like what you you think you're just poor, poor New England poor Alabama. These coaches know what they're doing, and that's why they do it. Is for that, Rusty? Do you have any? Do you have any specific reason um, as to why you think this game went a little differently than we all thought it would? And just perfect. And I kicked myself in the rear end driving home today, thinking about it. It was a perfect setup for Notre Dame. I mean, everybody was telling them all week, you're going to get, you know, Feinbaum says George is going to punch Notre Dame in the mouth and, and, and it makes all the headlines and this and that. And they just got told all week long that, hey, um, you're going to get killed down there. They came in with a great game plan. They had a quarterback that was extending plays. Uh, they had a dadgum tight end that looked 6'11". Uh, they caused Georgia some problems. Georgia had some injuries. Um, all that stuff led into Notre Dame's still a good football team. I I know they have lost some playoff games. I know they, they in some of these bigger games, um, they haven't exactly shown up. Uh, you know, the Clemson loss was a bad one. The Alabama National Championship you know, still in a lot of people's minds and didn't think Notre Dame deserved to be there, that type of deal. But that roster looked pretty good to me in person, and I, I don't think they're one of the five elite teams, probably six with Oklahoma, maybe seven now, LSU. But you take the Georgias, the Clemsons, the Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma, LSU, and you put them to the side, I will take Notre Dame against anybody and be a, in, in a game. I think they got a great football team. I'm very interested in how they play this year. I'm telling you, they don't play anybody rest of the year southern cow I'm, I'm not buying into southern cow yet so it's going to be real interesting with them I, I just think that you know all the all the recipe for them to be in that game was laying right there uh, coupled with some few things on georgia's end but uh you know i left impressed with notre dame and i wasn't you know I didn't feel the vibe until I kind of read the board and kind of some social media stuff that Georgia fans were that disappointed because it was a great, it was the environment as far as I'm concerned that I have been in, in that stadium. And, and I just think that Georgia won a heck of a football game and we're going to find out more about these two teams because they got more games coming up, but everybody's disappointed and that Georgia didn't blow them off the field. I, I, yeah. Georgia didn't play perfect. Yes. It could have had some, Different play calls a couple times, but absolutely, yeah, they had some they had some pass interferences that were just straight up PIs that didn't get called. That's part of the game. It's not that's not fun, but you know the ball to Demetrius Robinson in the corner to me was the worst one. I mean that that guy just just held his hands basically uh, until the very last second. So uh, you know it is what it is. But I think Georgia beat a really good football team last night in an incredible incredible atmosphere in Athens. Absolutely. And I want to say this too. I don't care if it's, if you're talking about any other of the best teams in college football, and, and I'm not saying Georgia went out there and played a horrible game or anything, but if, if Alabama or Clemson or LSU or Oklahoma drop a punt inside their own 10 yard line and give Notre Dame the ball there and, 
they don't cash in and, and don't catch some of the passes. And I'm not blaming it on receivers. That have been great plays. But players have to make plays that, that Georgia had a chance to, to catch. And, and Notre Dame made some plays on those, too. I mean, you got to give credit where it's due. And, and those 50-50 balls, those guys, sometimes you just get your hand in there at the right time and keep a guy from catching the ball. Happened twice to George Pickens on Saturday. Uh, you make some of the mistakes that Georgia made in that game, the, the Justin Schaefer 15-yard penalty after the turnover when, when DeAndre Swift had an eight-yard catch on first down, stuff like that. A team uh, like Notre Dame that may not quite be on that tier is going to stay in that game with those teams, and and that's just the way it is. I, I don't think this game – I don't think this game says anything about what Georgia is in terms of, of, oh, well, they're not – they can't play on the stage with these other teams. I don't think that's that at all. I think Georgia went in there, played a very imperfect game. I would I think I gave them a, a B-minus or a B overall in that game. And you go out there and Notre Dame plays their B-plus, A-minus game and Georgia plays their B game, it's going to be a tight one. Now, if Georgia went out there and played perfect football, I think it goes out and does what we all expected them to do. But but it didn't, and, and that's why you ended up with the outcome – uh, you ended up with. Kip, wh- why do you think this one went differently than we thought? I think the one thing we did not discuss on the, sh- on the you know, our predictions when we were breaking down this game, and, and it's really because we had no idea what to expect, was the return of tight end Cole Komet. And, you know, during the game, he's, you know, he's catching all these balls. He's basically the focal point in the offense. And you, you could tell that it was, you know, maybe a little bit of a surprise to, to the announcers, like, you know, maybe the fans as well and are on the junkyard, the message board. But, you know, this is not a guy that's just come out of nowhere. He, you know, out of high school, he was the number three tight end in the country. He was a top 100 prospect, 6'5", 230 pounds. You know, this was a big time talent coming in. And we just did not know what to expect because he was coming off injury. You know, he had this collarbone injury. And, you know, he just didn't really know how much he was going to play. And lo and behold, again, he, he was basically their number one option on offense for for most of the game so as far as something that maybe we didn't expect that has to be at the top of the list because you know that just wasn't something that that anyone was really talking about as far as a focal point he was more of like an x factor you know if, if he's able to play and perform well then notre dame has a chance to to make an impact and, and that's exactly what happened you know we just didn't see that coming and as far as kind of what surprised me in the game you know i think it's just both teams kind of really respected the other team's edge rushers, their ability to, to kind of get into the backfield and affect the quarterback. And I think it really affected both offensive game plans, but it really, that kind of fell more into Ian Book's playbook and what he's able to do. You know, they he had those big, big targets. He was able to get the ball out really quickly, and it really kept Georgia from, you know, getting hands on him and bringing him down. And, but but then on the opposite side, you saw Georgia kind of rely on you know the you know just the the quick shots the, the these these quick firing the ball, not pushing the ball downfield, short area passing game, and it really allowed Notre Dame to kind of you know play tight and and, and play closer you know to the line of scrimmage, and at the same time that kind of bottled up the running game a lot, and that was the one thing I didn't expect. I expected kind of the opposite, Georgia to 
to kind of establish that run and then take shots downfield, and it kind of didn't happen. So to me, that says that they saw something on film that showed them that those two defensive linemen we talked about on this show as being, you know, early draft picks, Khalid Kareem and Julian Okara. Those are guys that they really had a lot of respect for, and they did not want, you know, from back there too long and potentially, you know, getting taken down. That's one thing that kind of stood out to me as far as just something we kind of discussed, but we didn't really discuss how it affect Georgia's offense. And it's pretty clear that it had a big impact on and what they planned on doing. Yeah, I'm with you on that, Kip, because I thought that the run game would slow down the pass rush. That, that was kind of my thinking going in as Georgia would pound the football and slow down the pass rush. And I'll say this, and I think Cole Kubelik, uh, fantastic analyst for SEC Network, does a tremendous job, sideline reporter with with their, with their the SEC Network's number one crew. I thought he had a really good point is he didn't think that the, that the commitment to the run was there early on. Uh, you know, you saw Georgia come out firing, throwing little quick hitches and, and you know, settling guys down into zones. And Notre Dame played quite a bit of zone compared to other, uh, you know, big-time opponents that Georgia's had in recent years. Uh, but but the, I don't think the commitment to the run was there. I think they wanted to throw to loosen it up. I think they knew that, that Notre Dame was going to come in and and load up box and just kind of roll down and, 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 you know, really put a lot of guys near the line of scrimmage. And, and ultimately, they tried to have a counter for that out of the gate. And it was working okay until the screen game really let them down. And, and Notre Dame did a fantastic job of shutting Georgia's screen game down and, and create some negative plays. And that really put Georgia behind the chains and, and kind of got things started off on the wrong foot for Georgia first time all season that they didn't score a touchdown on their opening drive. You ready for this? Yeah. If is the most original and heartfelt movie in years. Magic like this comes around once in a lifetime. This Friday, experience it with your whole family. Can we do it again? If ready PG. All right, let's move into the next part uh, of of this game discussion and, and kind of where we're going to move uh, move on with this. And and you know when when you win a top ten game, you got to have some guys that stand out. It's that's a given. You've got to have some guys that stand out. And, uh, uh, Kip, I want to throw it to you first. One individual, one guy uh, that, that kind of brought his, brought his A game, helped Georgia win this football game, uh, who, who do you think played well? I really like what we saw from De, um, Devon Wilson. I, I think he's starting to really get comfortable playing that, that star position. Obviously, with, the, with the, the pick, you know, that, that stands out. But I just think, you know, we talked about this battle coming into fall camp. You know, who was kind of going to uh, man that spot. There's still a little bit of a rotation going in there. I mean, you're getting a lot of Mark Webb playing still. But I, I really was impressed by Devon Wilson and, and what he brought to the to the game. I thought he, you know, really looked pretty solid out there in coverage and, and really confident. And they needed that in that secondary. Again, with guys going down. You know, uh, you, you still have, obviously, J.R. Reed is, is playing outstanding football. Richard LeCount is always around the ball. But, again, just the, having another guy out there to kind of make it tougher on offense is the, the really pick on anyone. And, again, having a guy who can cover a lot of ground and, and really isn't afraid to come up and make the tackle really helps out Georgia a lot. And, and, and you know, again, I, I want to cheat a little bit and, and – go on the other side of the ball and how about that transfer pickup of, of Lawrence Cager 
a guy that in the offseason everyone was kind of asking questions about is this a guy that is going to drop passes and big moments in this game and, and then that you know that big touchdown catch uh, the the game of uh, you know his, his welcome to georgia game basically on the biggest stage uh you, you gotta just think back on how big that was especially with, with what happened at the wide receiver position this offseason the pickup of lawrence cager stands out even more after this game and i don't think you know we're talking about this as as a win if if Lawrence Cager isn't isn't on this roster and playing in this game, both good, both both really solid solid guys there. I really think both guys you know played probably their best game in a Georgia uniform. Actually, I I don't think it's even debatable. And I tell you what, Kip, one thing I really like about what Georgia has going on at that star nickel position right now is they check off all the boxes because Devon Wilson wasn't the only guy that played really well at that spot. Mark Webb did too. There was a spot early in the game where Notre Dame kind of had Georgia in a look where they felt like they could run the ball, and, and Mark Webb, it was maybe on the second drive of the game, Mark Webb took on Cole Komet there at, at the tight end position, giving up a lot of length and a lot of weight, and uh, knifed inside of him, kind of beat him on the block, which is something you don't really expect a defensive back to do to a tight end, and made the play at the line of scrimmage and and Georgia's got they've got a guy that can play the run and, and is and is good against the pass. They've got a guy who's good against the run and great against the pass. It's almost like they've got like a nickel safety and a nickel corner. And and they can go both ways with that. And, and the ability to match up is massive down the road with all the different styles you're gonna see when you go play Florida and Florida runs out uh I don't know, you know, four or five different really good wide receivers. They've got their issues at quarterback and, and some inconsistency there. But you're looking at Florida and their ability to do that. Well, Georgia can match up depending on down, depending on personnel, and, and that's huge at that position. Rusty, uh, who stood out to you? I mean, Kip touched on it. I, I just thought that two two players, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say the same thing with J.R. Reed. I mean, not only did he have – a couple of uh, tackles where he made big tackles in space to save extra yardage, yards, uh, yak, and uh, obviously the interception. He almost had another interception where he stepped in front of that crossing route. He almost cut it off uh, there in the second half to start. I think that was the first possession of the second half. He almost uh, got that one. But I think Isaiah Wilson, man, coming in, uh, you know, he warmed up and I felt like he was going uh, with another lineup, but. When he came in the game, you know, being on the sidelines, I mean, this guy is massive, and he is so vocal. Uh, I mean, he is just he is just um, going off over there, basically. You know, get your beep, 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 we're going. We're going to score right here. You probably you know, saw the same thing I did in pregame when, when yeah. all the players were getting hyped up and everything, and, and him, the way he was moving around and, and really getting into it. I, I thought then, I was like, this kid's going to play. He, I mean, I he's too. jumping around. I mean, he looks. I mean, he I looked thought, like one of the better. I mean, he looked like the dancing bear that he is out there. Yeah, you know, I thought he was going to start, and uh, he, uh, you know, DJ Fluker is probably one of the biggest offensive linemen I've ever seen in person. I was on the Alabama Georgia sideline in twenty, in the Georgia Dome. I guess that was twenty twelve. That game, and when Alec Ogletree blocked that extra point and ran that touchdown for Georgia to go up ten in the second half. I watched DJ Fluker go off on the Alabama sideline. I mean, he went off. Like, we're scoring right now, and you run behind me with about 50 cuss words, just being blunt here. 
and Alabama got the ball back about six or seven plays and ran it right down Georgia's throat. That was the same thing I saw last night at Isaiah Wilson on the sideline because I was right on that end where the offensive line group meets. And, I mean, he was very, very vocal, but he was also handling his business on the field. And, you know, what a massive, massive dude. I'm going to go back and watch the tape. I don't think I'm going to be surprised by anything, but I would imagine Andrew Thomas had a really, really good game uh, based off the amount of pressures that Jake Fromm didn't get from his backside. So I'll say, too, JRE, just for – for a, a senior, you know, all-American type player making plays, and then Isaiah Wilson coming in and, and creating that energy not only on the field uh, but on the sideline as well. Yeah, it's it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like that high school football coach that's that's about six three, six four, two hundred sixty pounds, and he's jacked, and there's just some for some reason, and it's it's no mystery. The players just listen to him a little bit more. I coached with a guy like that over at Cedar Shoals. His name was Ty Lockett. And uh, when, when Coach Lockett got upset, the players, they listened. And, and the same thing goes for a fellow player, a fellow leader. When the biggest dude on your team, when the guy who looks like he should be in a world's strongest man competition gets really ticked off and, and, starts, and starts yelling at you, you tend to listen. You're definitely not going to get up in his face. Um, you, you don't want to get jerked around like a rag doll and get a grown-up version of shaking baby syndrome uh, because that guy right there will rattle your cage, you know, without even really trying to. So I, I definitely see what you mean there. I'm going to start on offense. I'm going to go with Jake Fromm. And the reason I'm going to go with Jake Fromm is not because he just put up crazy numbers or anything like that, but as far as what you ask a quarterback to do, and I'm not talking about what Georgia asks it quarterback, its quarterback to do. I'm talking about asking your anybody asking their quarterback to do it. I don't know that I've ever seen a quarterback come so close to being to basically being perfect in a game. And he had six incompletions, but it was like every single time a ball hit the turf, it was a hair away from being a big play. I think the only one you could really put on him was the one that he kind of pulled the string on the Dominic Blaylock. Blaylock was running a post. He had inside position on the guy, but he had a safety bearing down on him. And and Fromm threw it low to try and keep Still almost caught it, too. Still almost caught it, right. But he, he tried to throw it low so that he could get Blaylock down before he got blasted by the safety and, and just kind of pulled the string on it just a little bit, and Blaylock almost made the play but couldn't. But the two that got broken up to Pickens uh, were, were just hands in the right spot from the Notre Dame defensive backs. Uh, the one he he had one to Tyler Simmons, he threw on the dead run that – you know, I think if Tyler were one of your bigger, longer receivers on the team, he probably makes that play. And then uh, you talked about the one to Demetrius Robertson that looked like obvious pass interference. I think, you know, I know the fans went nuts. One of the loudest moments of the nights uh, in, in terms of base in the stadium with the boos. That one got a little bit out of hand. That was a big one. Uh, but but just – but still, 26, 20 of 26, 187 yards and, and a touchdown – the one thing I look back on it, and I'm not big on questioning coaches because it's hard to look and tell exactly what coverage teams are in unless you've got the all 22 film and you've got time to look at it five, six times. So I, I don't really want to, you know, be too critical. I just wonder, looking back, why Lawrence Cager wasn't a bigger part, why they didn't try to exploit that mismatch a little earlier because he definitely was a size mismatch against both of Notre Dame's cornerbacks. And and but but ultimately, I thought Jake Fromm did a really good job, and I thought the the for, that Kirby Smart making it a point to kind of gush about him afterwards. 
about his way he managed the game and and taking some of the blame onto the coaching staff for not getting the play in quick enough for him to work his magic at the line of scrimmage. Um, you know, I, I thought that definitely made him uh, want to talk about how special Fromm is and, and and what he means to that offense as a whole. And and you know, listen, Georgia. I think Jake Fromm could come out and be a three, four hundred yard passer if they wanted him to be. But I think Georgia wants to be balanced. I think Georgia wants to be right, and I think Georgia wants to be flexible in terms of what they do. And and Fromm gives them that ability. It, it makes them it makes them harder to stop, but it maybe limits their explosiveness a little bit. Uh, higher floor, lower ceiling type situation, which I guess kind of in a lot of ways, if you think about Jake Fromm, that's kind of what he is as well. But that that that's he's he really stood out to me in the way he managed that game and kind of led that football team. And I thought he did a great job defensively. You know, I didn't really, you know, you guys have kind of hit on the two standouts that, that I would put probably one and two. Um, you know, I thought Devon Wilson was excellent. I thought J.R. Reed was excellent. I'll say this, and it wasn't perfect football because Cole Komet really gave Georgia a hard time, and he gave Georgia's inside linebackers a hard time, and he gave their safeties a hard time. But I think both Tay Crowder and Monty Rice played their – I mean, they played their tails off. I mean, those guys – it was pretty clear when, when Quay Walker got in early in that game. He came in, I think, on the third drive, and he played a couple plays, and he came out and Crowder came right back in, and he didn't go back in for a while. I think it's pretty clear that that the staff just wasn't quite ready to give him that big of a bite uh, of of the game, and and uh, those two played a ton of snaps. They chased tight ends, they chased side to side. It wasn't a downhill fit, um, you know. Let me, you know, thump type game. It was a game where they had to do a lot of running, a lot of chasing, and those guys were making plays into the fourth quarter and and rushing the rushing the end book whenever he got out of the pocket and and uh, really cut cut off some of the opportunities he had to get out in the perimeter and run extend plays and look downfield so i think i highlight both of those guys and take Crowder ended up leading the team in tackles and and had a big tackle for a loss on the screen pass that that notre dame had set up and that one looked like it was going to go for 20 yards and then crowder kind of comes out of nowhere and, and makes a big play but but those guys really played hard as did the entire defense and the defensive line deserves a a pat on the back as well because they really didn't allow Notre Dame to do anything that it wanted to do uh, between the tackles. All right, where does Georgia go from here? Going forward, uh, you know, this this team has high expectations. It's 4-0. It couldn't be any better than it is right now. But, Rusty, where does Georgia shore things up? What's the one area you can point to for them to correct during the bye week, during the coming weeks? Because Tennessee looks like a train wreck right now. You obviously don't want to play with fire there and, and take them too lightly. But but Georgia should win that one. But in the coming weeks, where does Georgia have to do the most work? Um, you know, being picky. Um, and, and had a lot of people text me today. So I watched some bits and pieces here in the last hour or so on the tight ends and blocking. Um, and, you know, setting that edge. The defense wants to set the edge. You know, you're you're you want to seal it off as a tight end. Uh, you know, don't allow any penetration. Anybody across your face, uh, get on the second level, block those type of things. I think Georgia's going to have to be a little more have a little more physicality out of their or out of that, or they're going to make a decision. You know, how much more four wide are you going to go? Because you know they're going to get Tyler Simmons back. Uh, you know, probably I don't know if he was 100 percent yesterday, but he will be. Demetrius Robertson. 
you know, I was told late last night he didn't practice at all this week. Comes in and plays, so that's that was good news. So you know he's still banged up. Uh, don't get these guys back, but you look at Dominic Blaylock, look at Pickens. At some point, Karis Jackson will be back. Um, you know Lawrence Cager, obviously Matt Landers. So I think that the, the question is: Are you going to go? With Eli Wolf and Warner and Fitzpatrick, are you going to try to fit in the other guys a little bit more? I think it's a um, a question that only be answered in time. But I think you you try to put the best athletes on the field, and right now, uh, maybe those wide receivers are a little bit more producing a little bit more than maybe if you run a three tight end or two tight end package. So I'm interested in that, and I think the physicality of the tight ends blocking when they are in because George is going to use tight ends. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but uh, I just think that I'm kind of interested in where they go because, I, I look, the way it is right now, I fully expect Georgia to to handle their business rather easily in Knoxville. And I'd be interested in what time that game is. I'm, I'm, could it be a noon game again for Tennessee? Uh, I think we'll find out on Monday. So uh, kind of interested in where, which way the offensive uh, groups go, um, packages. Uh, I'm going to jump right in here because I think that mine kind of flows well with yours. And and to to piggyback off what you said about that Tennessee game, I'm I'm a little less interested in the time, and we'll find that out tomorrow on Monday. But I think that I'm more interested in finding out how many fans Georgia gets in there because um, sure. I, I think this one actually could be pretty pretty even, and there could be a lot of empty seats there if Tennessee fans don't want to sell their tickets to Georgia fans because there's a lot of excitement around this team. There'll be a lot of excitement around the team coming off a of bye week. Uh, there'll be a lot of folks that want to see Georgia in action, and, and this one isn't a big game, and you got to think there's some Georgia fans out there that would love to kind of maybe humiliate Tennessee a little bit, and I'm not trying to start anything by saying that, but you know that they would. And, and, and maybe try to take over that stadium, make it two Tennessee stadiums this year in a row. Uh, but but I, I'm with you on the wide receiver thing simply because I believe that in, from a pass-catching standpoint, from a passing game standpoint, Georgia's best four right now are, are Lawrence Cager, Demetrius Robertson, George Pickens, and Dominic Blaylock. I think those those four are kind of head and shoulders ahead of the rest of the group. And listen, I know Tyler Simmons brings other elements, and he's even a better player when he's healthy. But I think he's a tick behind those guys in terms of the passing game. Put Kiaris Jackson in there, and I think he's another guy that, that joins that five based on the limited stuff we saw from him against Vanderbilt. That was a really nice catch and unfortunate fumble when he broke his hand there on that play. But, but I think getting those guys ready from a blocking standpoint and a complete wide receiver standpoint, uh, you know, Demetrius Robertson should know the offense as well as anybody at this point. He's been here for a little while. Um, and Lawrence Cager's probably still learning some things. You know George Pickens and Dominic Blaylock are still learning some things. They're still learning how to be blockers. They're still learning how to do their jobs to, to the fullest. Uh, so I think getting those guys up to speed in the bye week is a priority because George is a better passing game when those four – are on the field and 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 they're more dangerous and and uh, I'll, I'll say this about Dominic Blaylock, man. I mean, he's not flashy. He's he's not Peter Warwick out there, but but he's breaking tackles. I mean, he you you don't just throw your arm out there and catch him across the shin and and watch him slide across the ground. That's just not the way he rolls. He runs the ball uh, really well. He runs it hard and and he he has great balance and, and he's a guy that I think Georgia can really benefit from because he can pick up the extra yards after the catch and I think as he gets more comfortable and starts playing a little faster, he's going to make more big plays for Georgia 
in that area. But getting all of those guys ready to 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 the as ready as they can possibly be, I think is going to be key for this passing game going forward. Kip, uh, what's the one area you think that Georgia has to kind of hone in on with with the bye week approaching and and for the last two thirds of the season? I mean, I agree with you guys. I was going to just echo off of what Rusty said. I think getting healthy is key. You know, finding out what the situation is with Solomon Kinley. You know, it, 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 if he's going to be out, is Justin Schaefer that guy at left guard? You know, or do you need to, to move some guys around? You know, does Cade Mays need to continue to be that guy that just kind of shifts around? Or do you look at Jamari Sawyer there? Or You know, what, what the plan is at left guard moving forward just because – you know, it was somewhat alarming to see that, you know, they weren't able to have that same success they normally do, just running the ball in the run game. And, and then at the same time, you know, uh, James Cook, you know, I, he was obviously I'm a little uh, upset because he was my guy to pick to be the player of the game. And so I'm a little, you know, insulted right now and, and kind of uh, I'm just a little hurt because you know, he, he wasn't a factor. He said hurt. I mean, so, you know, I, I thought I had seen something that they hadn't seen, and obviously I was dead wrong. Uh, he went, you know, MIA for most of the game and, and wasn't, you know, featured at all. That You know, he's just a guy that seemed like he had that extra gear that, that they could have, you know, used as far as just getting that second level and being explosive. And that's really as far as the offensive identity overall – I still think that's something that they're searching for and, and we're kind of searching for from the outside looking in. What is the identity of this team? Obviously, there's still a, a team that's going to feature that, you know, the running backs. But, you know, are they going to push the ball downfield? Or, you know, if they have a healthy wide receiver core, you know, are they going to feature guys like Lawrence Cager and and Demetrius Robertson and, and George Pickens? Are they going to push that ball downfield? I think this was just a situation against Notre Dame where the matchup dictated not doing that because not just the edge rushers, but if you look at that secondary, I mean, I don't want to give any, you know, locker room material, any, you know, bulletin board material for any team Georgia is playing this year. Obviously, I don't think too many of the coaching staffs are listening to the podcast, but you can't be sure. We're having a, a really good run on this show. So, you know, maybe a couple of support staff members, I hear, uh, Nick, I hear Nick Saban is a loyal listener. Yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah, subscribe, rated, and reviewed this podcast. So Obviously, uh, Nick left a review. It was pretty good. And, and so, you know, we're getting a lot of success off of that review. But you look at that secondary, Jalen Elliott, you know, Alohi Gilman, Sean Crawford, and Tony Pride Jr. Those were guys that when the ball was in the air, the 50-50 balls – uh, those guys were doing really well. And and Sean was a guy that was, you know, kind of like Tyreek McGee. He was giving up some size to George's wideouts, but still, you know, uh, the, those guys react to the ball really well. And so I think it's just a situation where while Fromm was, I mean, again, playing lights out, smart with the football, again, not turning the football over at all offensively, and, and putting the ball, except for one throw, where it needed to be, the secondary was winning a lot of those, you know, the, those 50-50 balls. And so I think moving forward, are we going to see Georgia push the ball more downfield because they see opportunities for big plays, explosive plays? That's something I'm kind of looking to see, but we just don't know that yet because they haven't, they haven't tested that out a lot. 
and they haven't had to a lot. And so when Fromm has to throw the ball 25-plus times a game, are those guys going to be able to, to make the big plays that they need to, like Lawrence Cager did when he needed to moving forward? But, again, yeah, the overall getting healthy, finding that offensive identity, getting the offensive line set, uh, a group that can win the battle at the line of scrimmage, and uh, obviously just for, for me personally – featuring James Cook a lot more because I think, uh, again, if I'm going to pick him to play of the game, they need to they need to back me up on that and not make me look bad. Hey, man, I picked Richard LeCount, and it's not like he lit it up or anything. I don't think he played poorly, but but I think J.R. Reed would have been a much better pick there. Devod Wilson, somebody. I didn't know Devod Wilson was going to start, but uh, there would have been a lot of better picks than the ones you and I had for sure. I can't even remember who Rusty picked. Rusty, you remember? Player of the game? Yeah. Jake Fromm. Okay. Okay. Well, yep. yeah, let's you win that one. Points for Rusty. Hey, let's go back and review. Now, I did say we were, they were going to wear black jerseys, so let's not bring that up. But Negative point for Rusty. But the Jake Fromm, yeah, I'll take those points. Yeah, I think, I, think the, I think the black jersey thing got shot down like an hour and a half after we got finished doing the podcast. And yes, I, yes. I, I was, I'll be honest with you, I'm kind of glad they didn't wear them, man. I, did, I really didn't want to have to ask questions about that after the game. I was sitting there when they came out, and, and and a lot of us were standing there. You know, I'll just say it: Jake Roost, all of us were all standing there. And Jake turned to me, and said, "You think they went in a little bit early?" I said, "Man, I was just thinking that. Don't say it to me. Nobody wants to talk about it." They went in. I swear they went in with twenty-five minutes to go, and it took them forever to come out. And you could see all the players, you know, leaning over the, you know, all the recruits leaning over the wall because they didn't come out, you know, until. They started to smoke, and I was sitting there thinking, Jake Rowe is going to kill me if they wear these black jerseys. This is going to this is going to create a lot of extra tonight if they do. But uh, you know, it came out in the red, and when they put the tweet out, uh, the social media tweet, it pretty much shot that down. So, um, you know, again, I got lost in the moment. I, I was reading the board too much, social media too much, and um, but but definitely. Um, you know Kirby Smart's pattern. You two, you two said it. Kirby Smart, the history, what he's done, is not going to happen. It's, it it may happen in one game. Definitely may happen in one of these games, but it's not happening with an Auburn or Texas A and M or another day or none of that. And he's it's not, getting announced on Monday. Sure, sure. It's not going to be anything like that. Yeah, yeah they're, right. they're going to give the buzz some time to die down around it. That's for sure. Hey, man, sports for romantic. We all get a little bit wrapped up in them every now and then, uh, folks. By week this week, so the the football talk in, in terms of the current team is, is kind of going to be a little bit scarce in the past. Georgia's had Monday off, which is kind of what we're expecting for tomorrow. Uh, back at practice with, with all that coverage, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then they'll be off on Friday again. Again, if they, if they go with past schedules, and, and that's kind of what we expect. But we're gonna have a we're gonna have a show later on this week. We're gonna mainly focus on NFL dogs. We're gonna talk about some of the guys that we've covered and and some share some stories about kind of their recruitment and, and how they ended up at Georgia. Obviously, so many of the guys playing in the NFL right now, all three of us had a chance to cover as recruits. And we'll be back later on in the week with that. And then next week, Georgia, Tennessee begins a, a big stretch of SEC games. Basically, from now until Georgia Tech, Georgia is all SEC from here on out. Uh, but for this show, that's all we got. I'm Jake Rowe with Dogs 24-7, Kip Adams and Rusty Mansell of Dogs 24-7, and this has been the Junkyard Dogcast. Take it easy, everybody.
I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Kaylee Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski.